0: Matthew 7, 1 to 12. What is this judging that Jesus is talking about? And probably out of all the passages in the Scripture, this one is the most misunderstood by a vast number of people, whether they're Christians or not. So what is this judging? Is he saying that we need to suspend our critical faculties? (laughs) Is he saying that we just need to accept falsehood? And never say anything about false teaching that is being false teaching. Should we just accept it? Is Jesus telling us to accept sin and rebellion without any complaint and take them as an acceptable thing? What is he saying? Well, I know that sometimes in the movies and the television, when you hear somebody who is doing the wrong things and they know that they're doing the wrong thing, and out of guilt. It would say, don't judge me. Don't judge me. You probably heard it in your home. Don't judge me. Well, what does that mean? No. Our Lord is not telling us to turn a blind eye towards sin and rebellion. Jesus is not telling us to turn a blind eye or be willingly accept perversion and say, well, that's okay. No, 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 no. In fact, If you go down a few more verses where we stopped at 12, if you go down to verse 15 of Matthew 7, you see our Lord Jesus saying, beware of false prophets. Beware of false prophets. In other words, you need to judge between those who speak truth and those who speak falsehood. We need to judge messages… Whether they are sound doctrine or false teaching, we need that to beware of false teachers. That is one of the warnings our Lord gives us. So what does Jesus mean by this, judge not lest you be judged? I'm glad you asked. The Greek word for judge or judging is krino. That's K-R-I-N-O, krino. Now here's the bad news, okay? Okay. There are twelve different shades of meaning to that word. <laughs> and that is why I told you people really get them confused. Twelve different You sh- say, so how do we know? From the context. From the context. So what does Jesus mean here in Matthew 7-1? Judge not. First of all, He's referring to judging of another person's motive. You see, judging motive, literally the Lord is saying, is a no no. (laughs) No one can judge another person's motives except God Himself. Now, we can judge action, we can judge words, we can judge policies, we can judge activities, but we cannot judge motives. Secondly, it is a reference to hasty judgment. Hasty judgment judging before all the facts are in you know people like that judging before all the evidence are in proverbs 18:13 said he who gives an answer before he hears is folly only god is omniscient only god has all the facts in hands only god sees the past the present and the future but there's more there's more hasty judgment is often Merciless judgment, often merciless. And merciless judgment manifests wrong view of God, who is a very merciful God. And that is why judging motives is the same as playing God. It's playing God. Now, I want to make this very abundantly clear. Jesus is not, 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 asking us to stop discerning and denouncing sin. But he is saying, don't be quick to judge your brother or your sister's motive. Why? Because the very standard by which you're going to judge your brother or sister's motive, God is going to use that same standard by judging your motives. First of all, judging motives can distort our view of God— Judging motives, secondly, can distort our views of ourselves, can distort our own views. Look at verses 3 and 4. I want you to use your imagination, just for a few seconds, okay? Use your imagination. Imagine you are watching or looking at a comic strip, seriously. And here is a, an eye surgeon, and he is performing a very delicate eye operation in order to remove dust from the eyes of his patient. But instead of a magnifying glasses so he can see clearly, he's got two logs in his eyes. Big two logs blocking his vision. You say, Michael, that is ludicrous in the extreme, and you will be exactly right. <laughs> and that's what Jesus is saying here. But it's all connected when we judge a person's motive, your view of God becomes distorted. And when your view of God becomes distorted, your view of yourself becomes distorted. Which brings me to the critical person again, (laughs) the person who's constantly judging another person's motive, particularly in the body of Christ. He's talking to the believers here. I'm going to show you how he switches, but he's talking to the believers. Judging motives is counterproductive. I know you hear people say, you know, I'm going to fix him. I'm going to change her. I'm going to do this. and I'm going to straighten him out. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you heard people do this. Say that, okay? Just that between you and God. See, the reason we often make such a fuss about somebody else's I... A speck in their eye, is because we are hoping to divert attention from them seeing the big logs in our eyes. <laughs> you see, the reason why we often look for something to criticize somebody else is because we are internally holding something that's even worse as diversion. As we've been seeing throughout the series of messages, the worst sin is the sin of self-righteousness. The worst sin is the sin of self-righteousness, because a self-righteous person can never be saved. Jesus said, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, you say, wait a minute, these guys are meticulous. How can anyone to have righteousness surpasses the righteousness of the Pharisees? Yeah, the righteousness of Jesus. That's the only righteousness that surpasses those guys. (laughs) And He gives it to us. He imputes His righteousness on us. So God the Father looks upon us as if we have never sinned. See, that's the worst sin, self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is the person who sees no sin in their own life. Or even if they see sin in their life, they minimize it. They rationalize it. They ignore it or they, oh, blame somebody else for it please hear me right. Jesus is not saying to turn a blind eyes on your brother's sin. Not at all. Not for a moment. But you better do some self-examination and do some confession and repentance of your own sin before you can point your finger or help somebody else over their sin. Once. You're able to mourn over your sin. And that's the very, very, very first message. Blessed are you who mourn over your sin. That's the first of the Beatitudes. But once you're able to mourn over your sin, once you're able to repent of your sin, then you're able to help your brother or sister. Only then will you be able to see their sin in proper perspective. Only then will you be able to see God as the only perfect judge. Now, you notice from the Scripture, that's always a balance here between one's confession of their own sin and then able to help others with their sin. You remember the story of David and Bathsheba and Uriah, and, and he just was going along his happy, merry way until the prophet Nathan comes in and he confronts him and then he cries buckets, and he repents, and he writes Psalm 51. It's the psalm of confession. There's a balance in that psalm, and I want to show it to you in black and white. What does David say? Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation, and sustain me with a willing spirit. What is David doing? He's doing self examinations. He's taking the logs out of his eyes. He's confessing his own sin. And then and only then he's able to say, I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will be converted to you. Only then. Same thing happened in the New Testament. We know Peter and how he ended up in the mess he's, he was in and had to weep very hot tears for denying his Lord. Beloved, you cannot minister effectively to another person when you have a sin in your life. You have to first repent of your sin. In Luke chapter 22, verse 31 and 32, only after Peter's repentance and weeping these hot tears was he able or commissioned by Jesus to strengthen his brothers. Here are the words of the Scripture. Jesus speaking to Simon Peter. He said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I prayed for you. After you turn, don't miss that, after you turn, then strengthen your brothers. Any confrontation of sin in another person's life must be done, beloved, listen to me, must be done in meekness. It must be done in humility, not in pride, for we have nothing to brag about except the blood of Jesus Christ. But I know some of you already looking down and saying, What does Jesus mean by giving that is holy to the dogs and not throwing pearls in front of swines? What is that all about? Well, listen very carefully. Those of you dog lovers, listen carefully, okay? <laughs> Listen, (laughs) people ask me if I love dogs. I said, yes, I love dogs in your house. (laughs) You have to understand that back then, 2,000 years ago, in the Jewish culture, dogs and pigs were considered to be scavengers. They're wild. That's how they viewed them, rightly or wrongly, but you have to understand, otherwise you've missed the Scripture. Scripture. That's how they viewed dogs and pigs. And so, they were always a symbol, or they symbolized people who are non-discerning people, who are non-repentant people, who are self-righteous people, who are stubborn people. They resemble those who mock and spur God and His mercy. That's how they referred to them. So, watch this. This whole time, that we've just been looking at so far. Jesus is talking about brothers and sisters in Christ and families and homes and church, family. But then at verse 6, He literally switches gears. He switches gears. And same theme, but different application. Now we're going from dealing with sisters and brothers and they are going to dealing with the pagans with those outside of the Christian faith, with those who are non-believers, the blasphemers, the ones who have rejected the truth. He tells us how to deal with those too. He tells us how to deal with those who have perverted the truth and twisted the truth. And here what Jesus is saying, if and when they've rejected your message, you witness to them and they rejected your message, what you need to do is just leave them to me. Don't keep on flogging a dead horse. (laughs) Sadly, there are too many Christians who are so busy shooting at each other and attacking each other, they don't have any energy left to witness to the outside world. They're so busy shooting down the saints, they don't have ammunition left to tell people about the love of Christ. Look at verses 7 to 12 of Matthew 7. Look at them with me, getting close to the end. Ask, seek, and knock. Because you have a benevolent Father, a merciful Father, who wants to give good gifts to His children. And we saw that in the last message. He wants to give good gifts to those who are broken in spirit. He wants to give gifts to those who trust Him and trust His promises. He wants to forgive, and that is why, as a forgiving Heavenly Father, He said, Ask, because He is so wise and a wise Heavenly Father. Therefore, Jesus said, Seek, because you have a generous-hearted Father. Knock on the door and keep on knocking. Who of you, when your child asks you for something good, you give them a scorpion or or a stone. But Jesus is not talking about material things. For we saw in the last message, because God promised his provisions that he's going to provide, he's going to meet all the needs of those who seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And here he's talking about spiritual blessings that is beyond our ability to comprehend God's Common graces like the rain and the sun, they come on everybody, believers or non-believers. But there is a special grace that God promised only for those who put their trust in Him that He have promised those who place God as the Master over every aspect of their life. Don't miss this. Jesus is saying to His own about the spiritual blessings that comes with salvation, daily forgiveness, daily deliverance, daily peace, daily contentment, daily increase in faith, hope, and joy, daily victory over Satan, daily triumph over temptation. Ah, Daily victory over the critical spirit, and daily overcoming judgmentalism and judging motives. Someone will say, well, Michael, if God knows all of our needs, why do we ask, seek, and knock? That is a great question. I am so glad you asked it. This is really a great question. I have a three-pronged answer. First of all, prayer suppose or presupposes knowledge. So what is knowledge? Knowledge of knowing that God only going to give you that which is according to His will. Therefore, it is our responsibility to discern the will of God. I prayed with so many people discerning the will of God through the years. How do you discern the will of God for your life? By getting to know Him. I'm not talking about know about Him. A lot of people know about Him, but getting to really, really know Him. And, beloved, listen to me. Whatever it takes, however long it takes for you to get to know God and spending time with Him and His Word, you need to do it. There is no substitute for it. That is the only way you become discerner and a discerning believer. Secondly, prayer presupposes faith. It's one thing to know the will of God, And it's another thing to trust Him that He's going to fulfill His will. Beloved, I've been there many times. In fact, I'm going to tell you more. One time I was absolutely certain of the will of God. I mean, I heard God literally audibly. But it took six years (laughs) for Him to fulfill what He already promised. I could have given up, and I was tempted many times. Even when others give up. Even when others get impatient, even when others move on, even when others say, Well, God is not giving me what's on my grocery list, I'm out of here. But you keep on trusting, keep on believing, keep on seeking, keep on knocking, because if your prayer and your praying according to the will of God, sooner or later, God will answer that prayer. Beloved, listen to me God's delay is not always denial. And the third thing I want to tell you in answering your wonderful question why do we seek, ask, and knock? Because prayer presupposes desire, a longing in the heart. You have to have that longing in your heart. Because you may know the will of God, you may even believe that God's will will be fulfilled, but it's really having the desire for the will of God. I used to have a friend, she went to be with the Lord now, but she used to say, I'm afraid to discern the will of God (laughs) because I may not like it. I know that's more common than you realize. But if you desire the will of God with all of your heart, you will discern that He and His will for you is never punitive. Did you get that? He loves you too much for that. And He will always, always, always give you what is best for you. Because He sees the future, you don't. He will always give you that which is for your best interest in the long run. We're always thinking about the short run, but God is thinking of the long run. He knows what's happening. When you desire His glory above everything else, when you come in total agreement with Him, He will bless you out of your socks. I know of what I'm talking about. That is my testimony. <laughs> it really is my testimony. In fact, these three things, asking, seeking, and knocking, they are in the present imperative. This is not take it or leave it. It's in the present imperative. Those of you grammarian, you do understand what I'm talking about. But not only that, they are in the ascending order. They are in the ascending order. Before you ask, you must know what you're asking is according to his character, according to his character. And when you know what the will of God is, you must unfailingly believe that he will grant it. If it took years, he will. Now, beloved, as I said, I've been there on several occasions. One time it took six years. I said, Lord, I know, what, I know, I, I know that's your will. But He let me wait and wait and wait. And the longer I waited, the greater the desire of my heart for that will of God. He was preparing me. He was preparing my heart to receive because I would not have been prepared to receive at the time. Sometimes people pray the will of God and they want the will of God, but they not, don't have a prepared heart to receive the will of God, how to overcome the critical spirit, how to overcome judging others' motives by spending time with Him and His Word, asking, seeking, and knocking, and never give up. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way.